Welcome to the Waymaker Fireside Chat Podcast, where our purpose is to grow your life and change the world. In this episode, we sit down with Dorothy Jean Tillman. Lewis Carr is the founder of Waymaker, the Lewis Carr Internship Foundation, the Waymaker Men's Summit, president of media sales at BET Networks, and author of Dirty Little Secrets. Dorothy Tillman is 17 years old, yet she already has her bachelor's and master's degree and is currently a PhD candidate. Today, we'll talk to her about her childhood, her fast track education, and much more. Let's get started. Hi, I'm Lewis Carr, founder of Waymaker. And today on the Waymaker Fireside Chat, I am privileged to have PhD candidate, 17-year-old Dorothy Jean Tillman. Welcome, DJ. How you doing? I'm good. I'm happy to be here. I, I remember coming to your office when I was younger and I was probably getting my associates or bachelors. And it was one of the places I was like, wow, like just everywhere I looked was a wow moment. And so this is full circle for me. Well, you know, you have been living a wild lifestyle. Uh, you know, you got your associate uh, degree at what, like eleven or twelve years old. Yeah. Your 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 BA at thirteen. Uh, yes. Your BS at science. Science at thirteen. Uh, you got your master's at what age? Fifteen, basically. F- 15, talked, yeah. and you will have your PhD at 17. Well, I have it at 18 because our graduation 18? is in May. So you, your graduation is in, is in May of 24. Four, yes. Yes. So, you know, you know, when people hear those type of stats, Dorothy Jean, they're going like, what? 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 How? Is that real? Is that impossible? Uh, uh, you know, t- tell us about your journey and your time frame, time frame in achieving all of those, I'll say, sort of milestones, because, you know, you still got a lot of green grass ahead of you. How did that happen? Yes. So when I was younger, like my mom always started me off with learning materials like flashcards and things like that. So from a young age, I was stringing sentences together and doing things like that. Or so I've been told. Um, and doing things like that, you know, walking and the normal baby things sooner. Um, and I was always in Montessori or gifted kid style schools because my mom really believed in that education model of not holding kids back based on a rubric or a curriculum, but based on what information they can kind of understand and work through. And so at one of those schools, I was doing work fourth through sixth grade age that was sixth through eighth grade work. Um, and once that school kind of got reabsorbed into another school, I wasn't really enjoying the environment anymore because it was losing that sort of style of just letting us flow through whatever information we could absorb. And my mom was like, okay, I need to have her finish these hours that she would need to move on to high school, these middle school hours, but just be done with this and out of this school setting. And so I went on to doing the high school online, which is a very concise process. If you know what you're doing and you're doing it online and it's all you're doing like nonstop. Um, and so then I was able to move on to my associates pretty quickly, which I got at College of Lake County in psychology when I was going on 11. And so about at 11. And then a lot of those course hours went towards my bachelor's degree um, that I got from Excelsior College, which is an online school. Um, I'm sure I've tried not to mix up colleges. Um, and I got my bachelor's of science in liberal arts and humanities. And then I 
got my master's um, going on 15 in environmental and sustainable science from Unity College. Um, and then I enrolled in ASU about, I think it was like a, like almost two years later, a year and a half. Um, and I've been there for almost three years now. And I graduate next year with my PhD in integrated behavioral health. So, so DJ, you know, people listening to this is, uh, and I've known you for a long time, they're going to say, she's just gifted. She's just really gifted. So how much it is you've been gifted and how much is hard work? I think that the majority of it is um, definitely, I, I feel like a lot of people see it as like, if it's just naturally gifted or if it's hard work. And I feel like a better way to say that is kind of like nature and nurture. And I feel like a lot of it is just my nature and just how I was born. Like a lot of the type of women that are in my family, like my, my grandmother, I'm her namesake, is a trailblazer in Chicago. And so that was kind of already in me, of course, to an extent, but also that nurture of that environment that I was in made me very hardworking. And it gave me that foundation and those resources and that village to know what to do and how to do it. And so I think it was big parts of both of those, but a lot of that nurture. So nurture, hard work, gifted, you know, what most um, young people your age are going to say, well, does she ever have fun? Does she ever carve out time for fun? Uh, tell us about that. Do you? I think. I think any young person who would say that who met me would have the time of their life. Like we would have so much fun. Like it doesn't take um, I'm a very like I'm a social butterfly. I love hanging out with people. I love talking to people. I love making friends. And all of my friends would tell you like I'm a very normal teenager. I do very normal teenager stuff. I love TikTok and YouTube the way everybody else does. I care about the social dramas and things. Everybody else in the same way. Everybody else or well, not in the same way, but the same dramas probably in a different way. I just kind of like care about all the same things, do all the same things, but may look at it from a different perspective to an extent. So like some of what are some of the things you do for fun? Okay. Um, for fun. Well, I am in a dance group here in Chicago. I'm in the happiness club and it, we go all around Chicago and we do different events and all of our music is very like positive. And so me and like my dance group, like just going places with them is always fun. Cause we always make it fun. We make a place a party. Um, me and my friends hanging out, we we love just doing fun trends and things that we find like summer's coming up. So every trend we see on TikTok is like sent like we have to do this as soon as you get home. Like we have to do this, this and this like a lot of I love music. And so I listen to a lot of music and me and my friends make and trade playlists and things like that. Um, I don't have a crazy amount of hobbies. I write poetry. Uh, I read, but mostly only poetry books. Um, I don't know. I don't have a bunch of hobbies. Me and my friends are sometimes we can be like guilty of being couch potatoes and just like wanting to sit at home and find a movie to watch. Uh, but it also depends on like the friend, what I want to do that day. Cause I have some friends that are going to be like, okay, there's this restaurant near you. I'm going to be like, okay, this is that type of day. We got to get up. We have that type of fun. Um, so I feel like it just depends on the group, depends on the thing, but I don't know. It's anything that a normal teenager would like to do. I feel like I like to do. So most of your 
education has been online long before COVID. All right. Yeah. Tell us about that experience and how did you sort of normalize that and, and get used to having an online experience? Is, is it is it lonely? Uh, yes, it is. It's extremely lonely. It And it is something that is the it's the first thing that I bring up to parents and I bring to their attention the second that they kind of fawn over my college like experience and what it seems like is the social structure that school provides for kids is very like important. And it makes them all think in like similar ways that I'm not able to think, which is like a blessing and a curse. Cause I think in a way that is very free because I haven't been kind of constrained by like being in a high school, but it's also like makes it some, it sometimes hard to connect with my peers um, but that's not very often. I would say it was it took COVID like humbling me like the whole time I was in college. I was complaining like I want friends. I want to do stuff. I don't like this. Like I want to go. I want to like have something fun to do. And then COVID happened and everybody's school was online and everybody hated it. And that was actually kind of great for me because now that everybody was online, it like let me create a lot more friendships with a lot more people because we were all kind of doing the same thing now. We were all at home. So everybody kind of started to take on those at-home habits and things like that, that homeschool kids kind of do. So do, do a lot of your friends come to you and say, you know, guide me through this process of, you know, online school? Um, no, the majority of my friends, since they get to see the full reality of what it's like for me, or at least like my cousins and like close family who have been here like the whole time. They're like, oh yeah, I mean, that's cool, but I would never do that. Like, that's cool, but <laughs> I mean, I'm glad she did it. So I could just have a cool like my friend who did it. Like, it's just not something that, especially since a lot of my friends are like, like college freshmen and sophomore right now, they're like, I mean, I wouldn't have wanted that to be my high school experience, like, which is understandable. Um, but still, yeah, like they would come to me if they want to like know how to do dual enrollment or things like that. Me and my mom are like the go-tos. So, you know, they say doing online and not being in environments where you can socialize, you know, seems to sort of stagnate your progress and your communication skills and your socialization skills. But that does not seem like that is being your case. So what has been the thing that has balanced that out for you? You clearly are a great communicator uh, and clearly you have socialization skills. So how have you been able to learn those, even though you've been uh, most of your, your education has been online by yourself? Um, okay. I think that's really interesting because I was just watching an interview the other day, which I was watching an interview of a girl who was on like this crazy reality show, like that every kid is watching right now, like very normal teenager stuff. And she was talking about how she didn't like another cast member because she was annoying because she had only child syndrome. And the interviewer was like, uh, I'm an only child. I don't have only child syndrome. And I immediately realized that is you having only child syndrome. A big part of having only child syndrome is just not being self-aware and I have a lot of close cousins and family that that keep me grounded in that way. Like they'll tell me like, oh, that's extra or that's weird or that's too much. Like I've had cousins that are just like siblings to me that I've created that social setting. And I've always been put in like different programs. I've tried a little bit of everything here and there. And so I've always been put in different programs to be made to socialize, to learn from those situations. So so do you think, Dorothy, that you could now 
be in a college day to day since you've been doing this online thing forever? Do you think you could adjust to that? That's something that I've been contemplating recently because it wouldn't even be about making the choice fully to adjust. It's just about if I want to still be in college because I've been in college for like a really long time and I kind of don't want to go to school anymore. The same way like people (laughs) don't want to go to school anymore. It's been a long time that I've been in school, but there are passions of mine like dance and like poetry that I would love to harp on more and learn more about the technicalities of. And so going to school for those so I can get the on-campus experience is something that I've been contemplating, but I'm not fully sure if it's something I want to do. I want to see how the rest of the year shakes out with school and my business and things like that before I make big decisions. So let's talk about your business. Tell us about that. Yes. So I'm the CEO and founder of the Dorothy Jean STEAM Leadership Institute, which STEAM is just like STEM, but we added an A for arts. So it's science, technology, engineering, arts, and math, because it makes it so much more multifaceted. We can't have a left brain without a right brain, and we need that balance. And like I said, I was always in so many programs trying to find socialization. And in a lot of those programs, Some of the kids were older than me. They didn't want to hang out. Um, There wasn't enough variety in like diversity or things like that or like age, whatever it may have been um, or gender or whatever. Or the teachers were kind of like talking at us and not to us. It wasn't like somewhere where they were actually building a foundation where I knew I could come back and talk to these people if I needed a job or a recommendation for sure, 100 percent. Like it was it was never really fully one of those relationships. And I wanted to create that sort of space to build young leaders when any dream that you may have falls under that umbrella of steam to make their dreams come true under that umbrella of steam, because you can really do your wildest dreams, anything with a good village, a good foundation, a good amount of support. And if you have that passion in yourself and you have that dedication, that's all you need. And then the rest is the village and it's your resources and the things that you're able to get. And I wanted to create that space for young kids. And so that was the goal. And to get into what we do, um, we were, um, my mom took me on a trip with her to Cape Town, South Africa in, like, I think it was 2019. And I met girls there and I wanted to build a scene school down there. And so we got in talks about it and there was a plan of us building like a steam school down there. And then COVID happened. And so we couldn't do that. And so we figured out how could we like shift on this time? And we decided to do the STEAM kits. And so it was like, we can send all the kits over there to the girls and just have our website with all the tutorials and they can do like the tutorials. And it's like, they're just doing it right along with us. And then we were like, we can take this and make it safely in person, we think. And so we had our first STEAM camp that summer um, of 2020, 100% socially distanced and COVID free, but still doing the majority of the things we're doing to this day, like still being able to go on like few that year, but field trips and still being able to bond socially distant and still having them learn and do a different letter of steam every day, like coming out of the camp with something. And so that's a big part of what we do. Oh, that's great. And so after you get your PhD next year, what what are your plans? What does the future look like? Are you just going to um, take a break or what are you going to do? I have never been the type of person to really just want. I, I've, I've always like kind of just sitting back and getting my kicking my feet up makes me antsy sometimes. 
sometimes I feel like I need to be doing like some sort of something. Um, but like I ever since I've been a little kid, like just like a lot of kids in my generation, I wanted to be like a YouTuber. So I might just graduate and then, you know, start working on my podcast or things along those lines. Like I enjoy talking and like doing things like this. So I would love to have my own podcast. Okay. So when you look around you and you, you, you look at the black community and you look at young people, um, I'm sure that you look at the glasses half full, but there are a lot of people who look at the glasses half empty. What do you, what do you think that young African-American students and people in our community need right now? Um, well, I personally, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a positive person. I'm not an optimist. I'm a realist. I just look at the glasses having water in it and maybe looking at the compounds of the water, maybe looking at what type of glass it's in. And I feel like, I feel like, a, well, wait, let me, let me make sure I'm answering the question right. What is the exact question? The exact question is, what is your view of the future for African-American Gen Zers? I feel like young black kids are not being listened to enough. And I feel like it makes them not want to listen to the people who aren't listening to them. Cause I feel like there are a lot of things that my generation still needs from the generation above us, it, whether it's their wisdom or the things that they're in charge of that they're able to provide us or unlock. But if there is no mutual respect or communication, I just feel like, they're like a lot of kids will just shut down. And I feel like that's where it comes from. Oftentimes there are so many adults in leadership and people that we're supposed to be looking towards to guide us or teach us something who just need therapy themselves. They have a lot of problems they haven't worked on. They have a lot of like internal things and things that show up in different ways that lead to things that influence kids and manifest in other ways. And it just, if people who were guiding these kids to begin with were listening and communicating and treating them like humans and not half of a human just because they were children, I feel like there would be, they would be a lot less angry. I feel like a lot of my generation is just kind of has a disdain with the world that we were born into because a lot of my generation was born during like 9-11 and inflation and horrible things. And it was the world that we were born into that we're still living in that they're just kind of angry at. So. Uh, you, you live in Chicago and Chicago is a city that, that has some challenges with, with young people. What would your advice be to the new mayor uh, that is coming in office in regards to uh, communicating, encouraging, and managing young people, especially from uh, our community? Um, well, I don't like to tell nobody how to do their job, especially if I haven't done it before. But I feel like the biggest part of communication is listening and understanding. It's not very hard to understand someone. And that is the biggest part of communication that people miss out on is when they're telling someone something so that they can get their feelings and emotions out, but not so that that person can understand it. And when you're communicating, you're supposed to be telling it to them in a way that they can understand it so you can kind of come to a resolution. And so I feel like just finding ways that 
like he can hear out whatever the youth of this city wants as a collective in a healthy way conversation. Um, I feel like a lot of things that just needs to be focused on are fixing health systems all around like the, the city and transportation systems and things like that. So you can get there because that's big on what I'm in school for is integrated behavioral health, not just being able to go to the doctor, which getting there is a big part of it. Um, but being able to go to the doctor and see your primary care provider and a therapist, which is very important getting therapy. I've been trying to get a therapist for like five years. It is extremely hard and extremely expensive. And a lot of these people who are causing problems just need therapy and a school system that hasn't been built against them from the moment that they entered it. And so, I mean, someone can't fix every single problem that is built on years and years and years and stacked on top of it in one term of their own job. But I feel like those are the problems that needed to be focused on. I wouldn't say how to do it, but I think those are the things that need to be focused on. Okay. So we here at Waymaker believe that every successful person has had Waymakers in their life. So I know that you're young, but I had Waymakers at a young age too. Who are some of the Waymakers in your life? Um, of course, my mother and my grandmother are like the two that are going to pop up in my head immediately. Um, my granny is, of course, the biggest one. Uh, she's Dorothy Jean Tillman, the first. And the the way she just doesn't take no for an answer, especially when it doesn't make sense to give as an answer, um, has definitely taught me to do the same thing, um, to fight for what I believe in respectfully of the people who have been there in those places, upholding those systems, but still speaking up about what I want and what I feel is important. Um, she's just taught me indirectly by existing, by being herself, sitting at the kitchen table and talking um, on the phone or about what's going on in the news. I've just paid attention and it has taught me so many lessons. And I mean, my mom is my mom. I'm with her every second. She's the reason that I've gotten through my entire academic career. And she is the global director of the Harold Washington Cultural Center and running a building like that, um, that has so many beautiful things going on that means something so beautiful to Chicago that Chicago doesn't always recognize has taught me so much about how you don't need attention to get results. You just need to have the right resources and attention. The right press isn't always going to be that resource. It's not always going to be being the loudest one in the room. It's just like being more so the smartest. So DJ, in your, in your quiet times, what, what do you dream about? Hmm. Um, well, I'm a Pisces, so I every every moment is a moment to dream. I am dreaming when I am listening to music, which is every second. Um, and honestly, it's mostly just a lavish, like fun life where I'm happy with my friends and the love of my life. Love is very important to me and things like that, whether it's platonic or romantic. And so I just fantasize about having a happy, comfortable life where I am continuing to influence kids and teaching them how to be leaders and teaching them how to find these resources that I've had that have helped me get here while also, you know, having a nice home where all of my friends come over whenever they want and they stay for as long as they want, because like those are, I'm just a very like loving, want all of my people around me all the time type of person. It's a Pisces thing. <laughs> so I, I, I know you do a, a, a lot of 
mentoring slash coaching slash way making. Uh, tell us about some of those activities. Um, well, yes. Yeah, so I wouldn't say that because especially since a lot of them are my age and more like peers to me, I kind of mentor, you know, my stimulators, but our stimulators are the older people who are a part of our camp who um, work with us and work with the kids with us. And it definitely feel like providing them the spaces so that they can see more and kind of guiding them in that way. And so whether that is taking them out of town just to Atlanta for us to work on a preschool and refurbishing it and working on STEAM things with the kids there, or whether that's going all the way to Africa and Acropong and meeting the kids there and listening to them, seeing and understanding their culture, being able to kind of guide them in that direction feels great. And then on the more mentor side of things, I think when it comes to camp every summer, getting to like level with and talk to those kids and teach them core values that are important when it comes to business that a lot of people don't think about that isn't an elevator pitch, but is communication. And, you know, you had a fight with this person, but what is the problem? How do you find the problem? How do you find, you know, where you got angry? Like helping them work through things like that, where they learn to be more in control of their emotions and communication teaches them much more about being a leader than an elevator pitch. Now, you've also written several books. Yes. So a lot of them have been children's books um, for like young authors competitions and things like that. Um, And I'm working on a bigger book um, for just like my life and unlocking the genius within. But I I just always. Is that the title? Unlocking the genius? I don't know. Maybe I I haven't signed with the publisher. (laughs) But I, I just like writing those books. Was, it was something like my mom helped me work on when I was pretty young. And it was like Madeline and her horses or the chess princess. So it was just always things that I was interested in, turning them into little stories where I was like the chess princess. Wow, great. Well, Dorothy Jane, we thank you so much for taking time out of your day to uh, uh, come on the Waymaker Fireside chat and really tell uh, our audience about your journey. Uh, We continue to wish you the best. We're excited about as you sort of uh, get this PhD to sort of unlock the stadium of life. And uh, we're looking forward to great things from you. And uh, we always appreciate your mom and your grandma just really being so supportive of you, but supportive of, of Waymaker. So thank you so much and appreciate everything that you're doing. And uh, who knows, I may be working for you one day. We'll be working together. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this conversation between Lewis Carr and Dorothy Jean Tillman. What did you enjoy about this episode? Let us know on our social media at Waymaker Culture. Don't forget to claim your Waymaker Journal at waymakerjournal.com and be sure to enter the Waymaker giveaway by going to waymakercontest.com. Subscribe to the Waymaker Fireside Chat podcast to get notifications each time we release an episode.